What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Turn-Based, the RPG podcast here at thecoalition.com. I'm your host, Senior Editor David Jagno, joined with my usual co-host and another guest this time. Go ahead and introduce yourself, guys. Hey, what's up? This is Gary Swaby. Good to be back on episode 32. And hey, guys, this is the epic Jake James Lugo. I'm here back, you know, back for a while. You know, haven't been here, you know, in a good long time, so... Hanging out with you guys, talking RPG stuff. It's going to be fun. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The greatest RPG podcast in the entire universe. Damn right. Yes. Yes. All right. So let's go ahead and just dive right into it. Um, it's been a while since the last episode, about two weeks, a little over that. Uh, it's kind of interesting because once we recorded that episode, some news came out like the same day that it got posted, and it looked funny because we didn't have it on the show. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff later on. But first, let's get into what we've been playing. I know I've been playing a lot. I know JJ's been playing a lot. I'm pretty sure Gary's been playing quite a bit of stuff, too. Uh, so I guess I'll go ahead and go first. I've been playing a lot of PS4 still. You know, I've had it for a full about two and a half weeks now, so it's it's been a good time. I'm really digging into it. I'm really, you know, getting used to the PS4 now. It's starting to feel weird when I go back to my PS3. I thought it would take longer, but it actually does feel weird now. Uh, that hasn't stopped me from playing Dark Souls 2, though. That game, I still play that. Still very good. Uh, very, very great. I know that my review, I think I gave it a... Somewhere in the mid-90s, I believe. I don't remember the exact number that it came out to, but it's a fantastic game. I, I hope that they release it on PS4 and Xbox One. I, I'm sure they could, you know, because the PC version is better than the uh, PS3 and 360 version, so maybe they could port that over or something. I don't know. I think that'd be great because uh, that is a game that is very, very well made for the sharing feature on the PS4. You know, I think it would be great if you could share your deaths and all that kind of stuff and screenshots of crazy bosses and everything. That'd be really fun. Yeah, so, I mean, Dark Souls 2, that's what I've been playing a lot of. Infamous Second Son as well. I've been playing a ton of that. I've already finished the hero campaign. I started my villain campaign. I still haven't 100%ed either yet. I'm working on that. I am going to platinum the game. I'm determined to do that. Uh, the game's a blast. I really, really like it. I think it's the best Infamous overall. Um, really good. Definitely recommend it to anyone that has a PS4. It's To me, it's the game I got the system for, and I was not disappointed. That's how much I like it. So, yeah. I mean, I've been playing other stuff off and on, on my Vita and my phone and my, you know, whatever, just random stuff. But those are the two main games I've been playing. Cool. I'll go next. Um yeah, so I, I joined the PS4 club too this week, and um, I got my PS4 on Monday. And um, like you, I've been playing Infamous Second Son. I got that the same day I got the system, and yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying that game. I haven't beat it yet. Isn't it beautiful? Um, oh yeah, it's, it's very beautiful. Like for for an early um, PS4 game, it's it's really beautiful. Like it's hard to think that games are going to get much better than this like they're going to look a lot better as time goes on that's that's hard to to think that because they look really good already how many powers do you have i have two right now okay, and okay. I'm, I'm currently chasing something like some angel so i'm, I'm thinking maybe i'm yeah. gonna be close to 
to another one. Man, that third power is awesome. Yeah, I've been hearing good things about it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, so I've been playing a lot of that. Um, I also played uh, Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes, which I'm quite disappointed with. But, um, I mean, graphically and gameplay-wise, it's, it's a really good game. Okay, so here's the but, question. It'll be interesting to see if this podcast will be longer than the game. I bet you it will it be. Probably <laughs> will. I think it will. <laughs> yeah, um, also, because uh, uh, I actually had a lot of PS4 games already before I even had the system, so I've been trying out a lot of games like uh, Call of Duty Ghosts, and uh, today I've tried out Assassin's Creed. Um, Assassin's Creed Black Flag is pretty fun so far. Uh, Black a lot of people, Flag. A lot of people said it was like boring and stuff, but I'm having fun on that so far. But I've I've beat every Assassin's Creed game, so. Yeah, I'll be uh, honest. You know, for the first time since that series debuted, this is the one that I'm the most interested in trying, just because it actually looks different. You like won't be the whole pirate concept. You definitely actually, won't be disappointed. Yeah, you think yeah, so? And, yeah, I, I definitely think because it's a, I played through a good chunk of it. I haven't finished it, but I played most of the Assassin's Creed games, and it, this one's the more more dynamic and the more kind of like you get more into ever since Part Two, in my opinion, because Part Two is one of my favorites, and I wasn't a fan of like you know the sequels to that or even to Part Three. Just this one kind of you know hits that spot. Okay, okay, that's good to hear. I, I'm gonna pick it up eventually. Mainly for two main reasons. One reason is I, for some reason, got a, a Black Flag t-shirt for Christmas from somebody. That was weird. So I feel obligated to play the game now. And the second reason is because I just, I'm obsessed with wanting more stuff to play on my PS4 now. Like, I, I feel like I, I just want to get as many games as I can because I love it. Uh, I definitely recommend it because also like the visuals look actually good. Like I wasn't expecting it to look like um, impressive because you know it's still like a last gen game, but actually it looks really good still. So I was impressed like when I first saw it. Hmm. Okay. But um, yeah, I, I also um, I also got Final Fantasy Ten HD and HD Two, and uh, we'll be talking about that later. But yeah, I've been enjoying that. Um, reliving that game is never a bad thing. So, yeah. I've yeah, I can't wait to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed by how that looks as well. Like, it looks incredible. Yeah. But yeah, that's it for me. So yeah, I mean, I, I I'm out of the three of us, I'm probably the last one now at this point that's gonna gotta jump into the PS4 ecosystem. I already know it's coming. You know, I mean, I'm just you know I'm playing more of a wait waiting approach to it, and I already know, especially from you guys talking about it and everybody else on the site talking about, you know, PlayStation 4, you know, and the games coming out, you know, Second Son and stuff, it makes me even more excited for when I finally do get it, because I know it's going to be that much more sweet. And, you know, I can't wait to play games like, you know, Second Son, and then obviously most of the other titles that are going to come down the line. But uh, for the time being, you know, I've been playing a lot of my PlayStation 3, I've been playing a lot of my PlayStation Vita. I did the review for Final Fantasy X, X2 HD Remaster which we'll talk about a little bit later. You know, I spent a lot of time with the game, and I had so much to say about it. Outside of that, though, I've been getting a lot of the new PS Plus perks, you know, here and there for both uh, Vita and for PS3. You know, I kind of got a chance to dive into Metro Last Light. You know, I never played it before, and I think it was pretty cool. It was a good time for me to jump into it since it was on PS Plus. As well as some of the other indie games that they had on there, you know, that, that keep popping up, especially for the Vita. You know, like, I think it was Thomas Was Alone, I think it is, that indie game. 
with the squares. Yeah, Garrett, yeah, Garrett reviewed that for the site, and he really, really liked it. Uh, it. You know, for good reason. It's really good, you know, for what it is. I think it's one of those chill games where you got, it's, it reminds me of the Lego games where you just want to play something to chill out to and kind of just be mellow. That's definitely yeah. one of those things you want to pick up. Not on the same level as, like, flow or anything, but still, you know, just as good. But and, outside of that... You know, oh, just yeah. real quick, since you mentioned flow... I, I recently played that game for the first time. I was not impressed. I, really I thought that impressive. game was... Huh? It's really not impressive. It's really that... It's a time waster. It's basically what it is. Yeah, but why would you waste your time playing a bad time waster? That is like, true. It's not even an entertaining waste of my time. That is definitely like, true. Call it, like, for those that don't know, if you've ever played Spore, take the first level where you're like a microorganism swimming around on the water, and that's the entire game. That is a good comparison. I, I can roll with that. <laughs> yeah. I definitely roll with that. All right, so you can go on. I just had to say, I, I, I tried that game, and I, I tried to give it some time. I played it for almost an hour, and I figured maybe something will happen, but... I don't know. It wasn't even. I, I would rather play Flower. That game's actually soothing. Yeah, so Flower looks. In my opinion, Flower looks better than Flow. In yeah. my opinion. But yeah. But besides that, again, I've been, I've been playing that. I, I played, uh, what is it? Uh, that other indie game that also popped up on PlayStation Plus. Uh, Lone Survivor. Remember. Lone Survivor, yeah. I started yeah, that's, that. That's <laughs> another one Garrett reviewed. He really liked it. Yeah, I mean, I haven't gone deep into it. You know, to me, it's starting off real slow, but i got to play it more. You know, just to see, you know, how good it could get. Because people keep telling me it's actually pretty good towards the middle end. So they got, got a little bit more time to spend with that. But the other one I've been spending a lot of time with, you know, because it's it's really that good, is South Park Stick of Truth. That game is funny. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, my God. Fantastic. The, the thing is, is, like, I, I look at it, I know there's a lot of South Park references, and a lot of you have to get, you have to watch the show a little bit to kind of get the really big full effect of it. But I feel like even coming into that game without knowing a lot about South Park, you were going to laugh your ass off because I'm playing through it now. And I think I've probably gone to like the middle of the game. I'm like pretty deep into it. And I'm like laughing like every like couple of minutes because there's just something hilarious that just happens. And it just keeps the momentum going. Like they, they really spent a lot of good, uh, was amount of time really keeping faith to the show as far as like having that feel like if you're watching like a big, you know, 15 hour episode of South Park. And I think that's great, especially for fans of the game. But just as a game, as a standalone, like forgetting the fact that it is a South Park game, it's, it really holds on its own, and I like it. It's just awesome. Yeah, I heard a really good comparison. I can't remember who said this, but I was talking to somebody about it. And if you compare it to a lot of other licensed IP games, like Batman, for example. You know, Batman is great because it takes the material and creates its own universe with it. But South Park is like one of the first licensed games I've seen where it stays so true to the source material that it's better because of that. Definitely. You know what I, I mean? Agree. Like, it, it doesn't stray from the show almost at all, but it's actually fantastic because it doesn't. It builds upon, you know, what, what the yeah. show established. Like, it's it's essentially still kind of the show, for that matter, because outside of the look and the feel of it, you know, and the gameplay and stuff, like, the humor's there. You, you have the original creators worked on it, you know, really micromanaged pretty much everything about this game and they don't pull any punches like there there's some scenes in there you know i'm not gonna spoil anything that are like utterly ridiculous like they would not be able to do on tv that they could get oh, away with yeah. this game which yeah. was just awesome i mean you probably know exactly what i'm talking about but it's like really it's really out there and i love it it's just awesome does it involve one of the kardashians no it involves the underpants gnomes oh okay you, 
Oh, yeah, I know exactly exactly what I'm talking about. Anybody listening to this now, if you played through South Park or you're, like, playing through it now, remember I said underpants gnomes, and and when you see it, you'll you'll laugh your ass off. Let's just say that gives a whole new meaning to an interactive environment. Oh, yeah, it's just great. It's just so, so good. But besides that, you know, on my plate that's actually on deck now, because I'm still playing through... Final Fantasy X and X2, like even more so, like with the extra content and stuff. I actually just downloaded uh, the second DLC for Bioshock Infinite, which is very likely the episode two. I'm waiting on that to play maybe later tonight after we finish recording. So I'm looking forward to that. I still got to play both of those. The episode one was good, and I'm I'm pretty hopeful for episode two. I just hope it's longer than than with the first one. But I'll know tonight. Like I bet you, like tomorrow when we talk again, watch I probably complete it. It'd be pretty funny. But yeah, that's what I've been playing, man. Nice, nice. A lot of diversity. That's good. That's good. All right, so I guess we'll go ahead and just go right into news now. Um, first, this is something that I'm uh, specifically pretty excited about just because I'm a fan of the studio and I want I want to love a game that they make because I feel like both of the games that they came out with recently have had potential but fell short in some way. And I'm talking about Spider Studios and Focus Home Interactive. The developers, Spider Studios, they released Of Orcs and Men. I know you'll remember that one, Gary, because I reviewed it and you kind of were interested in it a little bit. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and Mars Warlogs. That's another game that they made. And both of those games are kind of based on the same engine, a similar engine at least. And it looks like Bound by Flames, this is their next game, is going to be sort of based on a similar engine as well. But the areas that those two games lacked were, you know, they were very unpolished, they didn't have good voice acting, they had bad writing, and the stories were kind of meh, but they had good gameplay. And so Bound by Flame, they've been focusing really heavily on the story and the characters and the writing, and I already know the gameplay is going to be solid, so it looks like it's actually going to be a pretty good RPG. And it's worth noting, this is one of the first relatively big RPGs on the PS4. It's coming out on May 9th, so that's less than two months away. And you're going to have like a big, long, you know, meaty RPG to play on the PS4. I bet you that keeps you tied yeah. down until like Final Fantasy eventually comes out years from now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, well, and also I I need to mention it's coming out on PS3, 360, and PC as well. But the highlight of that is the PS4, obviously, because you know there's so few games, so it's interesting to see that it's coming to next gen. And yeah, I saw the trailer for it. Um, it looks it looks pretty good. Like it looks really fun. Is this game co-op? Because it seems like a co-op type of game. No, it, no, I don't think it is. Unfortunately. Um, and if you haven't really seen too much about it, the gameplay and the kind of style, it reminds me of The Witcher. You know, it kind of has that same uh, feel about it, because you're, no, I don't want to say a monster hunter necessarily like The, like the Witcher, but uh, you end up getting um, sort of cursed by this demon, and you get like these demonic powers from him, and there's a whole bestiary in the game, because the, all the enemies have their own unique skill sets and movesets. So the whole, like, you know, every enemy is different is a pretty big part of the game. And so it looks it looks pretty good. You know, I have high hopes. I'm optimistic about it, and I, I really hope that it's good. Yeah, I gotta that sounds up. interesting. i got to really look it up because I haven't seen anything on it, but it sounds cool. 
Yeah. The reason I asked um, if it's co-op is because it kind of reminded me of War in the North, like the Lord of the Rings game. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been cool, like, if they had co-op in there. You know, just in general, there needs to be more 3D action RPGs that are co-op. You know, because yeah. there are so many top-down ones, you know, like Diablo and Torchlight and Sacred and all those kind of RPGs are always, you know, multiplayer, but there aren't many 3D ones that are. And I think that's what I liked about One in the North so much. Technically, I mean, you mean just like hardcore, like straight-up RPGs, kind of like on the same level as Witcher, because technically couldn't you consider something like Borderlands almost pretty much like an RPG co-op? Or like something I mean, like, you know, Marvel Ultimate Alliance in that regard? If you're talking yeah, general. I mean, we'll see. Well, first of all, Ultimate Alliance falls into that same kind of top-down category as Diablo. True, true. And see, Borderlands, you're right, you know, it, it has RPG elements, but... I mean more like games where you can sit down with a friend and you're going to be, you know, like leveling up and dungeon crawling and doing like, you know, doing quests and getting gear and loot. Like Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest 9. Same idea a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that one did co-op pretty well, for, especially for a turn-based game. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, the, the yeah. good thing about that is that you could do co-op and not have like a significant impact on the other person's story. Like even if you like you go right, far right. in the main main campaign of that game, they could still level grind with you while playing like that and still maintain, like, the same progress to, you know, to help them out in their own game. You know, and it's kind of funny. I'm going to be bringing up another Lord of the Rings game here. I don't know how many people played it. It kind of went under the radar. But Lord of the Rings, the third age. Yeah. It was on, yeah, previous generation. It was on GameCube. I think it was on PS2 as well. And it had co-op. Like, it had split screen. It was a turn-based RPG. The battle system was really similar to Final Fantasy X. And you could sit down with two players on the same TV and play, like, multiplayer co-op in a epic, like, turn-based RPG. And it was awesome. And I, 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 it just sucks that more games don't do that kind of stuff. You know, it doesn't even have to be turn-based. You know, like, like you were saying, Gary, like Bound by Flame or, you know, other kind of action-y games like that it it would be a lot more fun if they had co-op yeah definitely well speaking of the witcher if you remember uh our previous episode we predicted that the witcher 3 was going to release around the same time as dragon age inquisition and we were wrong so (laughs) it's actually pretty rare that we're wrong on this show have you noticed that it seems like we are pretty good at predicting stuff yeah, we we got a lot of things right, like that um that Kingdom Hearts thing. Yeah, um, yeah, that that Kingdom Hearts teaser site that went up. Gary predicted that correctly. It was just going to be music. I think we've got some release dates correct before. I'm pretty sure we predicted some of the Mass Effect Three DLC. Uh, just kind of general topics of what they would be about. But yeah, so Witcher Three, we were off by about half a year. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that game got delayed until February of 2015, so it's no longer a fall release. But you think that's a thing? Well, see, for me, anytime a game is delayed, if it's just delayed and there aren't any other significant changes or news around it, I see it as a good thing, because I think they're just taking more time to polish it. But if it's delayed and then it changes platforms, or if there's a change in management, then I get worried. But what about the time frame? Like, yeah, at least for me, this it's, it's for me it's a good thing because if it's not fall or like holiday of this year, it's only gone out in like a month or two into the next year, which I think is great. 
because I think, you know, that's going to be the beginning of the year. You know, maybe we're still coming off those games that we buy in the holiday season. And right when we finish those, this will be like the next great title for people to jump into. That's going to keep us right. tied until the spring. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's really good timing, you know. I think in general, I wish more games would release in the middle of summer first and second around the time The Witcher 3 is coming out, February. Like, I think that's a good time. You know, that's when a lot of people are getting tax returns back, first of all, so they're going to be more willing to buy a game. And so it's probably going to sell better. And there's just less games coming out. So, I mean, a game, like a big RPG like that has room to breathe in February as opposed to the middle of fall. Agreed. Yeah, completely agree. But also, I'm, I'm just glad it's not coming out around Dragon Age because, you know, I want to I want to spend enough time on both games. And if they did come out close to each other, then, you know, that would be very conflicting. It would suck to have to choose between the two because those games are both going to be huge. Yeah, it's not very com- it's it's not very common for two games that are so similar in style and scope to come out like around the same time. I think that might be part of the reason too why they pushed it back. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, not not in fear of being overshadowed because I would argue that Witcher and Dragon Age are relatively the same in its size of popularity, but just to give himself more room to breathe. Like I think it was a good decision. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah, I, w- I want to hear more about Cyberpunk 2033, though. I want to. I hope they have some stuff about that at E3. Yeah, I mean, when when I saw um when I saw CD Projekt at E3, they uh they said that this would be the year that we hear more about it because they want to focus oh, yeah. on The Witcher first. But um the thing is, The Witcher has been delayed now, so that might mean they delay any further news about Cyberpunk. But, yeah, I definitely want to hear more about that. I, I hope not. Because, yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to reveal a game too early. You know, you don't want to show too much too early. You know, you, like, you don't want to pull a Watch Dogs, for example. Or pull <laughs> a game that's all, like when you showed Insane and it was just the logo. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, but people early. already know that Cyberpunk exists. So people want to see more now. And I think it's a good time. If the game's going to come out in 2015... E3 2014 is when you should show some stuff. Yeah. Like, that's... Well, do you think they'll delay that now because they've delayed The Witcher, kind of? Well, I mean, theoretically, they have two teams working on them, so I feel like Cyberpunk could come out in the, you know, fall of next year and it would be okay. But who knows, maybe they'll delay that until February 2016 now. I don't know. I'll have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, next, the... Much anticipated expansion for Diablo 3 is finally out. That's Reaper of Souls. Should be available on PS3, 360, and Mac, I believe. The game is yeah. supposed to be coming to PS4 soon. So I'm a, that's going to be coming with the expansion as well. Um, have you played Diablo 3, JJ? Yes, I actually, my little brother, he owns it for Mac, and he, well, I played it with him. Oh, I remember okay. playing um, playing the beta with JJ. Actually. Yeah, that I was like the first time. I remember we yeah. did that. That was fun. That was actually really fun playing that. Like it was the four of us. I think it was. It was me, you, and like two other people. Yeah, I think Ed played with us as well. Or something yeah. at one time. Yeah, I actually no. I think it was Ed and his friend, if I remember correctly. It was a while back though. Yeah. I also played Diablo with Ed. So there we go. Shout out to uh, Snot Boogie. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I actually bought the game as well when I uh, got my PC built and stuff. But um, I mean, what what does this new um, expansion like, add, add to the game? Anything significant, in all honesty? Because like, you know, I I hear like you know it, they make it sound like you know there's a lot of significant changes to it. And last time I really heard Diablo Three, I like really dived into it. There was there was kind of like a little bit of bad buzz here and there about it. Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty outspoken about my displeasure with the game on this podcast. I, I reviewed it fairly well. I think I gave it a kind of a low 80 score. You know, it's, it's a very good game, but for me, it didn't carry on the Diablo legacy in the way that I wanted because the Diablo games were always known for their depth and customization and all the different features that you could, you know, kind of pursue with your characters. And Diablo 3 was like an RPG on autopilot. You know, it made all the decisions for you, really. You couldn't really customize your stats. You couldn't choose your skill trees that much. And so, for me, it took a lot of the enjoyment out of it. Uh, but I do know that they made a lot of improvements. You know, like, the I think the Real Money Auction House is being taken down, or it has been taken down. Uh, they restructured the way a lot of the loot drops. I think they finally added PvP, which is good, because that was, you know, advertised before launch, and it took them about a year to even add it. Um yeah, but there's going to be a new character class, first of all, which adds a lot of replayability to a Diablo game, you know, because all the character classes are so different. And there's going to be a whole new act, or it might even be more than one act, similar to the expansion for Diablo 2. So there's a lot of new content in terms of story and um, items and all that kind of stuff. I think there's probably some other new features as well. I'm not too sure... I know they're raising the level cap as well, so even your existing characters can level up to 70 now. And there's probably new skills and stuff for all the other character classes too. So, nice. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's pretty feature filled. I'm not sure how much it costs. I'm assuming 40. That's usually around standard expansion price. I'm not I'm not positive though. Um, and how's that I mean, gonna I, work? How's that gonna work on consoles though? Well, honestly, like just DLC. That's a great question. Maybe, yeah. Uh, that sounds like the best way to handle it. Hmm. I I know we will have a review on the site. Uh, we got a code from Blizzard, and I believe, um, what I'm so I feel really bad for forgetting his name. Gustavo. There you go. I believe he'll be reviewing that. So, cool. Should keep an eye out for that. And I did just check. Yeah, it's forty dollars for the standard edition. So that's right. Nice. Nice. Yo, um, so they really took down the real money auction house? About like they took, it, they took it down for good? I don't know if it's been taken down for good yet. I just know that there were there were words about it being taken down soon. That, that was a disaster, honestly. Like, they made such a big deal about that when the game first released, and then that just thing just totally blew up in everybody's face. Yeah, see, I mean, like, what, what I've always said is that it, it destroys the culture of the game because instead of being a game about running dungeons and you know killing bosses and getting the best loot it instead becomes a game of people exploiting the system and trying to you know find the loot to sell and make money or people just spending money to buy the best loot and then being the best players in the game you know it's it's a buy to win mentality and that's never what diablo has been about so it, it really changed the whole culture of the game a lot yeah, I mean, in a sense, I can see why they added it because, like, this was going on anyway with the previous Diablo games, but it was it was happening outside of the game, like, um, 
you know, independently. People were buying and selling independently. So I guess they wanted to get in on that and um, make some money off of it themselves. But, you know, at the same time, you can't ruin the culture of your game, like you said, by by adding that. So it's, I'm, I'm actually um, proud of them for deciding to take it out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it shows that they do listen in some ways, so... Yeah, it shows they actually care about, you know, the yeah, people exactly. playing. And just real quick, one thing I do want to touch on is, uh, this is something a lot of people, I don't really know if they realize, but if you've never tried the Torchlight games, you really should if you're a fan of Diablo 2, uh, because the guy that was the creative director of Diablo 2 founded the company that develops the Torchlight games. So in a lot of ways, Torchlight 2 is more of a Diablo successor than Diablo 3 is. And not many yeah, people I've, really I've realize got, that. I've got that game. I've just been waiting for you and some other guys to play with me. Yeah, yeah, we got to play sometime. Shout out to Kenneth from United Front Gamers. He and I have been friends for a while now. We originally met when we were reviewing Torchlight 2. We played multiplayer together. We had him on turn-based uh, a few episodes ago. So. Nice. Yeah, shouts to him. All right, cool, cool. Keep an eye out for that review. Um, the next topic is something that I know Gary's going to be excited about with me. And I don't know if you realize this. I didn't realize this until not too long ago when I was doing some research a couple of days ago. But it is the 20th anniversary this year of the Elder Scrolls franchise. Nice. Which is awesome. I hope they do also, something special. Oh, what was that? I was saying, like, I hope they do something special, because I know they have a collection of the Elder Scrolls games that I've seen at GameStop before, where it's got all of them, including Skyrim, in one package. So I can only imagine... Yeah, they yeah. Yeah, that comes with all the maps of all the games and everything. I think, I think obviously, you know, the special thing they're doing is releasing the Elder Scrolls online. You know, that's that's kind of the culmination, I think, for for them. It's not a culmination that I necessarily am excited for, but yeah, I think that's what they view as their ultimate anniversary gift. Do you think that maybe they'll do a nod to it, you know, inside Elder Scrolls Online, like, you know, like classic skins or weapons or items and stuff? Oh, um, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll do something, yeah. Anything to make more money. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't know. It's a little frustrating for me because I want to love the Elder Scrolls Online. And there are a lot of things about it that I do like from what I've played. But it just it's just frustrating because at its core, it's just an MMO that happens to take place in Tamriel rather than an Elder Scrolls game being turned into an MMO. And that's a key yeah. distinction. And I feel like they have gone too far in the realm of traditional MMO mechanics rather than making it more like an Elder Scrolls game. Yeah. And, I mean, I haven't played it as much as you have, but um, I've heard a, a lot of things about it. And, like, I know that... Um, fighting with a party is a big deal in an MMO and I'm hearing that in this game it just doesn't feel the same like because the different classes you have don't kind of interact with each other well enough in combat 
Right, right. And I mean, that's that's one of the fundamental issues with taking a property that has never been about interacting with other real players and trying to force it into the realm of an MMO. You know, there's some yeah. very delicate things you have to take care of, and if you don't get that right, the entire thing will fall apart. You know, if something as crucial as, you know, making the healer useful, you know, it sounds very minuscule, but, you know, like party mechanics are the core of an MMO. And I'm not really convinced yet. So, I don't know. Uh, another thing to note here, kind of going back to what I was saying about Diablo and uh, you know, understanding who's developing what game, it's more important than ever with this game to understand that Bethesda Game Studios, the people that have developed every single Elder Scrolls game to date, are not developing this. This is being developed by Zenimax Online Studios, another developer underneath Bethesda Softworks. So this isn't even... like Todd Howard and the you know typical Elder Scrolls team are not on this game. They're being consulted, obviously, but they're not actually developing it. Do you think they should have? No. No, because they, they don't have any experience with MMOs, and they're single-player guys. So I'm I'm happy that they're going to be doing what they do. I don't think it should have ever been an MMO to begin with. That's that's my it, opinion. It should have been a rather just another iteration, another another uh, was it Elder Scrolls game that's like its own thing, not an MMO, but just a typical RPG. Yeah. Yes and no. I think it could. I think multiplayer elements could have been worked into the game, but I'm don't personally think that this incarnation is the best version that it could have been. And part of that's just, you know, me being a fanboy. Like, I I want it to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, like, I think this goes to show as well that um, not every IP would be good as an MMO because I know as, like, RPG fans, a lot of times we want to see some of our favorite um, IPs turned into MMOs. But this, you know, might be a testament that, you know, that's not always a good idea for certain things. I agree. I mean, I feel the same. I mean, because I'm a big Final Fantasy fan, I felt the same way when Final Fantasy 11 and 14 came out. I mean, that's just me, though. I never really got 14 it. Is pretty, 14 is pretty good. I never played 11, really, but well, 14 see, is, is pretty cool. For me, like the Final Fantasy games, every game has always been very unique and different. So... I mean, there are certain stylistic elements that are, you know, continuous, but I feel like there's a lot more liberty to be taken with Final Fantasy whenever you're making a new game. And if you're going to go in a different direction, it's usually easier to do. But then whenever you have something like Elder Scrolls, where it has to take place in the same universe and use a lot of the same characters, same history, same mechanics, same... Like, it has to have so many things that are the same. A lot of that doesn't translate. You know, I kind of agree with you in a sense, especially on the Elder Scrolls part, because I could kind of relate it a little bit to like Star Wars, the Old Republic, in a sense, you know, as right, far as like right. being the same type of galaxy thing, you know, in that same universe or whatnot, or not necessarily the same time frame. So I can understand that. For, for me, though, personally, with Final Fantasy, you're totally right as far as like, you know, each iteration, you know, you have a lot more freedom for the series to do different things to feel unique each time. I mean, at this point, we're, all, we're going on 15 games now. But for me, I think like the essence of like Final Fantasy as a series, I don't think works as far as an MMO because it doesn't feel like you know this world and you know and this story, this you know it, that's epic in scale that I could 
especially myself, you know, experience, and I kind of go through it myself. Like with me, I feel like I'm, you know, as a Final Fantasy fan, I'm limited to the sense, you know, of like the nuances of an MMO, and it doesn't feel like, you know, a Final Fantasy experience or a traditional Final Fantasy experience of what I'm used to. Like that's why I've always right, yeah. it away from. I, I agree with you to an extent, and um, this is why I kind of feel like I wish that they didn't number the the. Uh, the Final Fantasy MMO, so I wish it wasn't, you know, 11 and 14. I kind of wish it was just, like, something separate, like Final Fantasy Online 1 and 2, basically. Like, I wish it wasn't actually part of the main um, numbered series. I agree with that. And and thinking about it, I think the key difference is, if you take something like, um, let me think, like something like Star Wars, for example, that's a universe that's full of heroes and villains, you know, like the Jedi and the Sith. There's hundreds of them. So it makes sense for there to be an MMO. Like, you can believe that there would be thousands of Jedi and Sith battling each other. But then whenever you get to Final Fantasy or Elder Scrolls game, those universes were always about single parties or single heroes doing heroic things by themselves. So it, it feels weird to be in a world full of thousands of other players just like you. Because those universes and those games were always about being special. Yeah, it feels less special. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way that's of putting it. Yeah, and I never really realized that until now, but I think that's that's kind of what sets it apart. You know, it feels... It doesn't have the same magic whenever you look across the field and see 20 other people riding chocobos and casting Fire Aga at the same enemies. Yeah. And you know something? I could kind of relate it a little bit to the Crystal Chronicles games, especially the ones on DS, where I think the multiplayer element, you know, to an extent could work well or something like Final Fantasy, and I kind of agree with Gary that if they were just called Final Fantasy Online 1 and 2, I think I probably would look at them a lot differently in that sense. Because like if you look at a game like Crystal Chronicles Echoes in Time, you could play that game co-op with up to four people, and it's still just as good as if you were playing it single player. I think that you're totally right that it's probably that sense where you lose that sense of being special within this this world that you're you're trying to experience. Instead, you're, you're experiencing an MMO ecosystem. That's That's what really gets to me. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny how something as simple as the name can really change your perception of a game, but it's true. I mean, it's that's how the brain works sometimes. True. Okay, so that was a good tangent for this episode. Uh, next are two kind of short news topics. These aren't really going to probably be discussions or anything, but one that I want to highlight is something that I'm specifically excited about. And that's Monster Hunter Freedom Unite is free for PlayStation Vita on PlayStation Plus. Yeah. The reason why I'm excited about this is this is the, as far as I know, the first Monster Hunter game in the West that you're going to be able to play on a handheld device with two analog sticks. Yep. Anyone that has ever played a Monster Hunter game knows that that camera is a nightmare. It sucks. (laughs) Yes. Like, if you've ever played on the PSP, you have to do the claw. The 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 left thumb, yeah, your left thumb is on the analog stick, and your left index finger has to hook over and do the touch and do the D-pad for your camera because there's no second analog stick. And the same problem was on the 3DS version of Monster Hunter Ultimate. You have to get the you have to buy the the adapter, the second analog, the Circle Pad Pro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so this is huge to me. You know, I finally have a second analog stick to play Monster Hunter. That's that's like big news. Whenever I played Monster Hunter Try on the Wii, I bought the Pro Controller specifically to play that game because 
I could not use the Wiimote the way that that control scheme was set up. And I mean, as great as these games are, it seems like they have been historically plagued with terrible control schemes. So I'm excited that there's finally one to play on the Vita. And I mean, it's been out on PSN for a long time. You could have downloaded it as soon as the Vita came out, probably. But I mean, it's it's free on PlayStation Plus, so I'm getting it. A lot of people are getting it for free now. So I think it'll hopefully it sparks some life into Monster Hunter. Because it's popular in Japan, but it's not really that big anywhere else. It's it's more niche down here, or at least over here in the West. But, you know, yeah. something like, you know, it, it it only kind of validates one thing I've said for a very long time. Because me being a fan of the series, and I got into it from a friend that was, like, really hardcore into it since the PlayStation 2. So I kind of got late into it when it first came on PSP. And it only yeah. valid, it only kind of really is testament that a game like this, like an actual Monster Hunter game, not so much a clone like Ragnarok Odyssey or Soul Sacrifice yeah, or any yeah. other games really needs to be on the PS Vita because it work it would work well on the Vita and I'm pretty sure that anybody that's downloaded at this point or at least you know that's going to download at this point would actually you know really see that because obviously the second analog stick would be huge to it this this you know Monster Hunter Freedom uh, was it Monster Hunter uh, was it three uh, was it Ultimate on uh, Wii U you know that was one of the bigger you know, online games for the Wii U for a time because there were so many hardcore fans and people devoted to that series that were on there and really kind of, you know, making the online, uh, was it the online community really something to really take note of? And I think some, something like this on like, you know, the PSN or even if they were going to have a game on like, you know, the Xbox One or, you know, Xbox 360 would really make that franchise that much more bigger. So that way so many much more people could be exposed to it because it's a good, it's a good franchise as far as like, you know, like a tough, like RPG that really isn't so much into EXP and leveling. It's more about what you put into it, what you get out, kind of like Dark Souls in a sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just that, you know, I, I just wish Capcom would kind of like, you know, put a little bit much more effort and kind of like, you know, really trying to gear this series in, out of here into the West. Because again, it's huge in Japan. They got theme parks devoted to this thing. So there's obviously people that are nuts about this. You know, maybe it's just the difference in the type of gamers between both regions, but... I, I really think that the Vita needs something like this. I think I think it largely comes down to two things. One is the platforms they choose to release them on. You know, if it came to PS4, oh, I think it would be huge. It would be beautiful. Second, yeah, and the second thing I think is marketing. You know, because part of the reason why Dark Souls blew up like it did is because of the marketing. You know, they marketed it as a game that will be hard and it will kill you and it will frustrate you. And people bought into that. And I think the similar kind of marketing strategy could really help Monster Hunter. But instead, whenever you see trailers and commercials, it just looks like a, you know, an outtake of an episode of Pokemon. And or that's online. Not what they, yeah, or online, yeah. And, online commercials. Like, uh, you find out a lot, especially with the Sony games, especially Sony First Party, they're not putting so many commercials on TV, which is what a lot of game companies should be doing. Instead, they'll put them online you know, thinking that they're going to get a lot more exposure. And really, you know, a lot of people just don't even really care about it or they just bypass it. Like, I feel like I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, definitely some good marketing. But as, to me, Monster Hunter could be marketed in the sense like, you know, you again, you put in what you get out. Of, you get out what you put into it. You know, maybe not yeah. so much in the sense of difficulty, but in the sense of being an explorer, like, a, you know, going into like a vast jungle environment, you know, killing beasts, you know, and taking their parts to make your own, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, have you ever played them, Gary? No, never. But I've always like found them kind of interesting. Like when I see pictures or videos of it, like 
I, I always kind of wanted to try it out. Yeah, like the the cool thing about them is that they're not really like your typical RPG where you have stats and skills and level up. Instead, it's you're a hunter and you go kill monsters and you kill those monsters and get their materials like their hides and claws and skin, whatever, and you turn that material into weapons and armor. And that's the progression system. There's no levels. You just get better gear as you kill stronger beasts. And, and it's, the beasts are awesome. Like some of the monsters yeah. and creature design are amazing. Some of the best, in my opinion, some of the best in gaming. Because one of the cool things, especially about Monster Hunter Three Ultimate, was that it tried to create like its own pseudo ecosystem for each environment. So you could be running around, you know, maybe not doing anything, or you know, important, or killing a big like wyvern or a monster at the time, and you'll see some of the different monsters fighting each other or killing each other and such, you know, or just doing their own little behaviors. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I know um, a lot of people said that Soul Sacrifice was like Monster Hunter, and I liked that game, so I'm pretty sure I'll enjoy it. Same with Ragnarok Odyssey. It's like both both of those take a lot of nuances for Monster Hunter, but like they they take them in like totally different directions. Like you know, Soul Sacrifice really kind of you know uh, was it goes more in the sense where as opposed to like gaining materials and like things you know to make yourself stronger from the monsters themselves. I mean, you do have the ability to, like, sacrifice or save them, but it also plays on the sense, like, you're kind of sacrificing yourself in order to defeat different beasts. Whereas Ragnarok Odyssey is a little bit much more in the traditional sense. You know, it's another one that's very similar to a God Eater. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. One of those was given away on PlayStation Plus not too long ago. Yeah, God Eater Burst. Uh, Yeah. It was was on uh, PlayStation Plus. Yep. So, if if you... If you're listening to this and you own a Vita or PS3 or PS4 and you don't subscribe to PlayStation Plus, you're an idiot. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna call you an idiot. You know? lie, you're missing <laughs> out on a lot. I mean, it pays you, for itself. Put it on there for PlayStation Plus right now. Let me put it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people try and bash it by saying that you don't keep the games or whatever, but like that's just a ridiculous like statement to me because. You're, you're getting so you're getting like so much access to these games, like it doesn't even matter because yeah, I mean the the stupid thing about it that's clearly if that's the biggest criticism that someone can make that that tells you something, you know. I mean, you can't criticize the content, you can't criticize the service, you can't criticize the features. Instead, the criticism is oh, you don't get to keep it forever. What whatever, man, you know. I would love to see something else out there that lets you pay less than the price of one game and gives you dozens instead. Here's some perspective. Like, you know, to put it in perspective now, you could get Tomb Raider, the, the what is it, Payday 2, you get, uh, what is it, Borderlands 2, and Bioshock Infinite right now on PlayStation Plus. And you keep those games for a whole year. Most of those games, even if you don't, even if you finish them or whatnot, if you bought the retail copy, more than likely, you might not keep them anyway, because you'll probably go trade them in or give them to a friend or whatever at that point. So basically, you pay $50, you're going to get four to five different games on top of every other game they're going to give you. You know, that's a hell of a value. And every month, the games change. You know, that that's that's pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So that was your free commercial from us, Sony. We'll be waiting for our paychecks. We'll, we'll get our royalties soon, hopefully. <laughs> Uh, so it's funny because a lot of people have commented on our reviews before saying that we got paid off. You know, my response to that is, 
I wish. I wish I was rolling that Sony money. What? <laughs> I feel like I'd be a good spokesperson. You'd be the next Kevin Butler. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he'll be he'll be Kevin Butler 2.0. <laughs> All right. So this next one is going to be something that. JJ couldn't care less about. That's all right. Because me and Swift <laughs> care. And it's Guild Wars 2. We haven't talked about this in a while on the show. Part of that is my own personal shame because I haven't been playing it as much as I want. And the other part of it is that it's been kind of stuck in a rut with the living story, just the Scarlet storyline. If you play the game, um, you probably have gotten annoyed and gotten tired of Scarlet by now as well. She's, well, she's still around. No, that's that's the news. She's gone finally. Oh wow! She's been defeated. Lion's Arch was retaken, and Scarlet has been defeated. So, oh, so, so Lion's Arch is going to be restored. As far as I know, yeah, yeah, the siege is over. Scarlet's been defeated. Uh, I can't remember if this was a rumor or if it's been officially confirmed, but I believe a new dragon is on the horizon. I think that was. You know, theoretically, her plan was she was going to be reviving a dragon or something like that. I haven't really been keeping up with the lore too much, unfortunately. But, yeah, there should be something big coming soon. Because the patch that most recently happened didn't include any new content. It was just a bunch of features. And, yeah, like a bunch of big feature changes. Like dies, for example, are now account-wide. So they're not character-specific. There's a wardrobe system. Um, you can now refund all your trait points for free at any point in time. You can just go into the menu and change your trait system. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're, they're looking for group systems. been completely overhauled. Critical damage has been changed. Uh, there's 40 new traits in the game. There's a whole, like, a whole bunch of stuff has been changed. And they're still revealing more stuff throughout... You know, next week they're going to be revealing more and more uh, updates that are happening in this big feature patch that's coming. So it, it hurts my soul that I don't have time to play Guild Wars Two anymore. But see, that's the great thing about the game is that there's no subscription, so you can take a break and then come back, and it you'll have just tons of new stuff to go through. Yeah, I still I still think it's the best MMO out there right now. I don't think Elder Scrolls is going to overtake it. Uh, Wildstar looks good, but it's pay-to-play, so it's not going to be worth it in my mind. And that's really about it as far as MMOs go. There aren't A new MMO is usually a pretty big, monumental moment, but neither of the ones on the horizon have me excited. I, I would rather just play more Guild Wars 2. Yeah, I don't see why other companies can't, um, can't you know, compete with Guild Wars 2, because, I mean, like, uh, a lot of them are trying to go pay to play, you know, the subscriptions and everything. But the stuff that Arena do with Guild Wars Two, like, and it's buy to play, and you know they update that game every two weeks with new content. Like, I haven't seen another MMO that that offers that much value. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I remember before it came out, I was telling one of my roommates at the time. You, you remember Hunter, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I doubt he listens to this, so it's not even going to matter. But he was kind of bashing it. He was telling me, like, oh, it's, it's only $60 and there's no subscription fee. That probably means it's going to suck. You know, they, they're they not going to have enough money to support it. 
there's it's not going to be high enough quality because there's no subscription. And he was saying all this stuff being really negative, and I was just like, dude, you, their previous game was the same model, and tons of people still play it. And I, I am so happy that I jumped on early with Guild Wars 2. I, I did all the beta tests. I was one of the early purchasers. I got a head start for like two weeks into the game. You know, it, I, I've really enjoyed my time with it. And I, that's what I like. I, I don't I don't feel as guilty because I don't have to pay a fee. Yeah. So, JJ, you need to get a gaming PC and jump on Guild Wars 2 with us. I need a, I need a better gaming PC to play anything, period. Like... But yeah, yeah there's there things about Guild Wars too. Like some people said, it's like really good. I just again, I just never really dived into the MMO uh, like you know scene. There's a class in the game called the Venomous Fat Man. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, <laughs> that, that was pretty sweet. But there is an epic class. There's an epic class. Yeah, it's not as epic as me. <laughs> Yeah, so Guild Wars 2, it's awesome, and you should go play it, because I don't have time to, so go play it for me. So next, uh, we're pretty much done with all the news that's been going on. Instead, we're going to move shift gears here to our spotlight discussion, and this is one of the more topical ones we've had in a while. Usually we just come up with a topic and talk about it. This one's actually very relevant for once. Uh, we want to talk about the virtual reality, all the new technology that's been debuted and it's supposed to be coming out soon, Oculus Rift. That just got bought by Facebook, so it's into the world. Uh, you know, the Project Morpheus from Sony. And there's so many new technologies on the horizon. But as this is the RPG podcast, we want to talk about how it will specifically impact RPGs. So I'll go ahead and just let one of you guys kick off the discussion if you have any thoughts about how it might impact RPGs. Yeah, I mean, um, going back to The Elder Scrolls, you know, I kind of thought about playing a game like The Elder Scrolls with, you know, Oculus Rift or one of these VR headsets. Like, that would be actually pretty cool. I think that would be a cool experience. Because you'd have, like, the whole first-person mode and then, like, um, you'd probably be scared shitless though, because like there'd be like a giant spider just like <laughs> <laughs> creeping up on you from the side or something. One thing I'll but, say yeah. real quick: shout out to Assad. Could you imagine how much fun he'll have with his mods if he gets an Oculus? Well, <laughs> yeah, he he would love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not gonna go into any more detail about what kind of mods he uses, but <laughs> needless to say. He'll be having a good time. It's not so dirty when you say that. It's like he'll be having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like imagine it's like a sound of like a little like closed off world with his Oculus Rift. Oh god. You got the right idea. Alright, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love you, Assad. I love you. Alright. In all so, honesty in all honesty though, like I, I definitely could see like a lot of first person RPGs like really benefiting from like Oculus Rift and obviously Project Morpheus, whatever Sony's going to call that officially. It's just that I really don't see it really bringing much more to the table for other games, other RPGs that aren't first party, that are, you know, maybe third person, you know, turn-based or action-based or whatnot. I mean, the whole point of VR is that obviously you want to be in the first person, you want to be immersed in that world. And for games like, obviously, like Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, you know, uh, 
this point, I'm, you know, any other RPG that you could think of that isn't first person, I really don't see anything of significance happening to them. Unless, you know, again, maybe some developer could come up with some creative things for, you know, for these virtual reality headsets or devices to really kind of, you know, somehow immerse yourself into it. Like, you know, maybe in like certain menus or something or certain areas, you know, you go into first person or whatever. But really, I really don't see what else this could really do for games like that. Again, if they're not in first person. Yeah, that's a fair point. And uh, has any of you actually used Oculus or anything like that? No. Because I've I've seen it at conventions that I've been to, but I've never actually like used it. No, not yet. I very, very, very briefly tried it at QuakeCon last year. Not enough to really get a grasp of how it's going to work. It was maybe you know maybe a minute. Like I just really got to just put it on my face and kind of check it out. And to me, like, the thing about it is the biggest concern for me is the same thing you just said, JJ, that, you know, non-first-person games. The majority of the games I play are non-first-person. So, for me, there isn't a whole lot of appeal. You can't really gain anything from it unless, again, you're in first-person and you could be immersed in that world. Because that's the whole point of VR, is that you're in whatever world. The whole point of you turning 360 degrees with the headset on you is that it's your eyes looking into that world. And if you're playing a game yeah. in the third person, you know, there's really almost no point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so it seems pretty much like the, the games and the software are going to make the hardware in this case. Like, yep. you know, it's going to really rely on the software that's available. But it is worth noting that if the next Elder Scrolls does have support for Morpheus or Rift or whatever, I will probably get one just for that. Like, that is enough oh, for yeah. me to justify whatever device I need in order to play that game in a more immersed state because, you know, not just, not even just Elder Scrolls, but there's a lot of games out there that are really emotional and gripping and immersive. And their first-person games, you know, like I'm sure Metro Last Life, for example. Could you imagine playing that in, with a headset on? Like, that'd be crazy. Yeah. That'd be very you know, cool. Even like, playing yeah. even like Portal. Portal would be yeah, cool. Portal or any horror game. Oh, my God. That would just be ridiculous. Anything. You know, anything like Amnesia or Outlast. Oh, man. Anything that's first-person is really going to really benefit from this. Like, any, any game, not just limits to RPGs, just... Any game, period. Even like maybe a first-person fighting game. If anyone could actually make a good one, you know that isn't like <laughs> no, that's never but, gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it's never gonna happen. <laughs> but but the point is, is that yo, it's not. I don't yo, think David. I don't think it's gonna make so much of significant impact. You know, specifically for RPGs, because I feel like a lot of the bulk of you know, like the RPGs that are popular outside of games like Elder Scrolls and such like that are really not gonna benefit from this. Or either that they're gonna have to fundamentally change what they are or come up with titles that fundamentally change what they are in order to really utilize this. And I definitely don't see that happening. David, you know what game just came to mind? What? Chivalry Medieval Warfare. Oh my gosh. That would be so fun. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. That would be perfect. That would be really good. And see, what, what I'm trying to think of is, you know, like you're saying... Jay, is that they need to fundamentally change the way that they create games, really. I mean, because all the first-person games out there can obviously benefit from the Rift and from Morpheus, 
That that's obvious. But if you go beyond that, thinking of how to utilize it in more unique ways, I think that's where the real interesting stuff is going to happen. Because if you, you know, for example, whenever there was the jump from, you know, Super Nintendo to N64, there was that time where people were trying to figure out how to use the 3D environment in games, and they couldn't really, you know, it took it took a few years for them to get the hang of it. So I think that, you know, if some people can get creative and some creative minds that are smarter than I get together and come up with unique ways to utilize that type of headset, maybe there is potential for it in a non-first-person game. I don't know what that potential is. I can't really fathom that concept at the moment. I think I have an idea. I think I have an idea. Yeah, I could imagine maybe some type of menu interaction. Cutscenes. Cutscenes. Put put, put me in first-person. Yeah. yeah, or maybe um, maybe this would even be a way if for Morpheus, for example, for there to finally be some pretty good uh, top-down strategy games on the PS4. Maybe the headset could be utilized in a way to make that type of navigation easier. Or, you know, I, I don't know. And like in a third-person game, maybe there could be a way for you to uh, view your surroundings or interact with menus or some type of heads-up display in the game that is replicated on the on the interface and the rift or, you know, something like that. I, I'm not sure, but no, I think cool it will be, yeah, like, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Check this out, right? Imagine like, as you mentioned, top down types of games, like imagine a game like civilizations or Rome total war or something like that. Right. And, or, or even going to something like black and white, like imagine having a headset on where you could be able to go like, you know, zoom in and out, of everything that's going on within this environment and stuff, and being able to be in first person in VR like that at the ground level while your troops are going at it against enemy troops, and just being there and just seeing that from that same level like that. Like, to me, that sounds like something that would be very freaking cool, that could really utilize and take advantage of VR, just the, the, the hardware itself, like that. Oh, but okay. I, j- I just thought of something else, that this could be interesting. But what if they had games where it was it, you would utilize both? Like there would be some moments where you would have a controller in front of a screen, and then maybe there would be other moments where you have to put on the headset to go into the eyes or into the body of somebody. Uh, you know, a, a game that comes to mind, I don't know why I think this is an interesting concept here, is Beyond. What if whenever you're controlling Aiden, you have to put on the headset? I think that would be kind of yeah. cool. Wouldn't that be like tough, it. though, like going between the two? Technically, like taking you off the headset, putting on the headset, taking it off, putting it on? Yeah, I mean, Especially I'm assuming free- that the Rift is in a prototype state currently, and it's going to be a little bit more manageable and less cumbersome once it does release. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, that's obviously a, a very valid concern, um, you know, just having to put on and off the headset. I think maybe some if they can figure out a way to, for some type of toggle or some device that will let you see both, I think that'd be pretty interesting. I don't know if that's really possible at its current state, though. I agree. Well, I mean, you know, we are going to have Farmville on Oculus Rift at some point, so <laughs> that's It's going to get serious on Facebook. You want to talk about the major leagues of selfies? <laughs> Yeah, just just touching on like the whole Sony um, versus Facebook thing that's come to light now. Um, do do you guys feel like Sony's gonna do a good job supporting their um, VR? Because 
you know, if you look at their track ref- record with peripherals and stuff, they didn't do a great job with the PlayStation Move. Actually, they kind of uh, did, if you think about it, because they, they kind of developed and really kind of, you know, germinated Move, even though when it first came out, it was blatantly looked like a ripoff of the Wii, like the Wii mode and stuff like that. But you got PlayStation Move uh, functionality inside your PS4 DualShock now at this point. Like, I think now with, with Project Morpheus, you know, it's such it's at such an infantile stage, especially, you know, with the way VR is now. We're going to see that germinated kind of develop over a long time. And I think, like, maybe from now until maybe, like, what, maybe five or ten years into the future, maybe when the next generation of consoles gets developed or whatnot, maybe we'll see that really change and, and you know, evolve over time. Because I think... Yeah, I mean, like, way, with, with Move and stuff, the technology itself was cool. You know, and it's cool that it's in the the door shop for and everything. But I mean, like, as far as actually making software that's dedicated to the to that hardware, you know, I think that's where they kind of fall short sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, I obviously I have a PS4 now. I have no desire really to get a camera for it, the PlayStation camera. I never got a PlayStation Eye. I never bought the Move. Um, you know. For the, those peripheral type devices, and I think the Morpheus is obviously much higher dollar peripheral. It's I think that that alone is going to kind of elevate it above those things, hopefully. Um, but the fact that it's probably going to cost close to the price of a console, I think that kind of puts it in a category all on its own. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you know, your average consumer probably isn't going to buy it just because it's so expensive and it's so niche that unless... And see, that's another thing, you know, I don't know how the technology works, so I'm not sure if, you know, a first-person game, if they have to develop it with the Rift in mind or with the Morpheus in mind, or if maybe you can just plug it in and have your head movements take over the right stick or something like that. You know, if it's that simple, then maybe there's some potential there but if every developer has to cater to it like the touchpad on the wii u controller then i yeah. think they might be in you know i think it's going to be less popular than it could have been i agree yeah definitely i mean i think definitely price point for average consumer i think is going to play a huge factor because they're not nobody's going to want to pay an additional 300 to 400 dollars for something that well probably work with like one game at the time that's just not going to happen yeah, 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 exactly. And, I mean, it's especially interesting because, I mean, the PS4, part of, one of the biggest things for its appeal so far has been the fact that it's cheaper than the Xbox One. So now whenever they start introducing all of these extra devices that you can throw extra money at, I do think that more people are going to be likely to purchase it as if it were an Xbox peripheral just because they have that concept of, Oh, you know, I had to pay a hundred less dollars for this console, so I'll go ahead and drop, you know, sixty bucks on that camera, or I'll drop two hundred bucks on this headset because, you know, it's not as expensive as it would have been, or something like that. Maybe that's the concept they're going for. Yeah, I think the the more pressure a little bit is more on Facebook now, and now that they just dropped two billion dollars on Oculus <laughs> at this point, that's a lot of money. Okay, let's let's just get that out the way. That is a lot. Yeah, like, can we just talk about how a year and a half ago, Oculus was on Kickstarter and raised two and a half million dollars, and now they just sold it for a hundred times that amount. Yo, did, did you hear that 
VR is a billion dollar is a two billion dollar industry. Like let, let, let's just comprehend that for a second. VR just got put two billion dollars for something like that. Like that's ridiculous. Something that's not even out yet. Something that's not even yeah, that, really that, built. And what were we gonna say yeah, here? Did, did you guys hear that um people are actually um asking for refunds for you know when they donated to on, on Kickstarter? I mean, asking for them. I feel now. their plight. But they're stupid if they think they're going to get a refund. That's, yeah, that like, is kind of stupid. Like, surely, you know, it might be frustrating, but Kickstarter and crowdfunding in general is not a standard investment platform. You don't get an, a return on your investment. So maybe they just, feel they, dumb you know, and they feel cheated for investing in it so early, and now it's worth all this money, but they're not going to get a refund. That's just not how Kickstarter works. That, that, I think it's like, more to do with the fact that they uh, see a lot of people are have negative feelings towards Facebook. I understand why, but at the same time, like you know, if you invested in the Oculus, it was because you wanted it to succeed, and now it's kind of succeeded by you know being acquired. So uh, you know, I don't see why they would demand their money back just because they hate Facebook and you know. I think part. I think part of it is. You know, Kickstarter is based on the concept of supporting an idea. And I think people feel that if Facebook bought them, then they're going to be in control. And that means that it'll be a different idea and a different vision than what they funded. Well, yeah. put it this way, they paid $2 billion for it. I think pretty much at this point, they can take all the control that they want. As much as people might not <laughs> like it, that's a lot of money that they're dropping down on this. And like I said, it puts a lot more pressure on them because I think now at this point, they have plenty of resources in order to help develop and fine-tune this thing. I mean, it, it would suck at this point, especially for Facebook, if it doesn't really take off off the ground, which I really hope that isn't the case because, again, $2 billion is a lot of money. Yeah, because it would be one thing if a Kickstarter project failed to get traction, but if something that was paid $2 billion for and funded by arguably the largest company in the world, one of the largest companies in the world, and it fails, that's something else entirely. So, yeah. You know, what else It'll be... you know what's also really stupid, too? I, I even read a little bit about how some people were demanding that they get like their own like units for, for after having donated, which I think is kind of ridiculous in itself too. Especially if it's like someone who just donated a couple bucks to something like this. And people on the internet are dumb, and I say that as we are now talking on the internet, recording a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, are there any final thoughts here about how? The Oculus Rift is going to affect your Elder Scrolls and Final Fantasy time. One word, Skynet. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Oculus Rift is just a way for them to tap into your brain, man. What about you, Swift? you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just interested in, you know, sitting back and watching what happens with this whole VR thing. Because, you know, I mean, we see many um, new trends and stuff come out and a lot of them fail. Like, there was the whole 3D phase, there was the whole motion phase, which Nintendo kind of spearheaded. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just going to, you know, sit this out, see how it plays out. Because, 
you know, we still don't know certain things about, you know, how much software is going to support these things and what the price range is going to be and all that stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to watch and see what happens. There you go. The man has spoken. All right. Well, yeah, I pretty much agree. I think it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But that pretty much concludes episode 32 of Turnbase, the Coalition's RPG podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we do heavily, heavily, heavily recommend that you leave a comment down below. We love interacting. We want to hear your thoughts. Let us know of topics you want covered in the future. Or if you want to be a guest on the show, leave a comment or email us, and we can definitely work something out. And uh, also, I want to give a quick shout-out again to the Facebook page that this uh, podcast will be posted on. I'm one of the moderators. That's RPG Games, the Facebook page for RPG Games. I understand that it's redundant. Yes, I, I know that. Uh, the guy that originally created it, the reason why I put that there is to differentiate it from other things that have the acronym of RPG. So instead of saying role-playing games because that's too long, he did RPG Games. So... Before you turn into a grammar Nazi, understand that, yes, we know that it's redundant. But yes, go ahead, check that page out, like it. I post a lot of our stuff over there. You can interact with us there, and make sure you comment down below. Thanks for listening. <laughs>